It's Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. And you are listening to your home for misinformation and disinformation, also known as The Truth, the Midnight Ride podcast with Connor Coughlin and Paul Runyon. Now, it's the time of the show where I remind you to continue to spread the word to your fellow patriots, conservatives, ultra-maga deplorables. If you like this show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can write us at the Midnight Ride Podcast at gmail.com to submit story ideas or just to comment on the show. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at Midnight Ride Pod. Our DMs are open. If your New Year's resolution was to inject some constitutional conservatism into your life and this is your first Midnight Ride, I am Connor Coughlin. My co host and partner in crime, Paul Runyon, is on his annual family vacation. Who am I kidding? His quarterly family vacation. But uh, he has this, I think, great tradition of, of after Christmas with his family, spending from the 26th until after New Year's somewhere new for his family to see. And the Runyons are in Dubai right now. That's not exactly new for them, but it's an awesome spot. And Paul, if you're listening, I hope you guys are enjoying your time out there. We'll see you next week. Our editors will be back next week as well. I sort of miss that show open. I, I love the horse hooves there. But uh, thanks to our sponsors at Anchor, we have some pretty cool sound effects and transitions, so we're still in business. Where to start in this year of our Lord 2023? Well, I think we can all agree that a turning of the page was a very welcome thing. 2022 was kind of a downer, if you ask me. It started with a major land war in Europe. First time we've seen that in about 80 years. And it has killed tens of thousands of Russians and Ukrainians, and it has brought a wave of human suffering in Ukraine. It also threatens global stability and even the very rules-based international order upon which America's peace and prosperity depends. And so if you are a student of history, which Paul and I are, you should be very concerned about the events in Ukraine and the waters and airspace around Taiwan. 2022 ended with Winter Storm Elliot, which tragically killed dozens of Canadians and Americans and reminded us something that our friends on the left don't like to admit, which is that Mother Nature has always, from the dawn of time since humans have walked the earth and even long before that, had her deadly side. And again, our prayers to all of the families affected by that horrible winter storm. In between those events, 2022 had some highs and some lows. It was a bad year for many of the Hollywood studios, in addition to the usual tired remakes and superhero movies. We had Disney movies with lesbian kisses and gay teenage crushes. Both came up miserably short of expectations, as you would expect, and the Disney CEO paid for it with his job. And some big-budget films came up woefully short. In addition to the aforementioned light year, there was Avatar The Way of Water, now in theaters. I have not seen it. I think I personally am over James Cameron as a storyteller, but Paul Runyon apparently did see it. Here is the text that I got from Paul just yesterday. Quote, Just saw Avatar. I can't believe I took my kids to that crap. It's literally the most woke, anti-American movie I have ever seen. 
Of course, I saw it here in Dubai. It's probably making people around the world hate us, end quote. So there's that. <laughs> you might want to give Avatar a miss. Again, I'm not seeing it. I was watching a sporting event on television the other day, as I am known to do, and I saw an ad for a movie starring the nicest guy in Hollywood, Tom Hanks, playing an angry old curmudgeon, sort of a 70-year-old male Karen called Otto or something. The Wall Street Journal dubbed it Forrest Grump. I like Tom Hanks as an anchor, but as a as an actor, but no thanks. It was not a total loss on the big screen. Tom Cruise's return as Captain Pete Mitchell in Top Gun Maverick took Americans' breath away, shattering box office records around the world and reminding us it's okay to love the United States. And it really can be fun to go to the movies. So Hollywood, more of that, please, in 2023, although I won't hold my breath. 2022 also brought a lot of revelations. The purchase of Twitter by a guy who used to be the world's richest man, Elon Musk, and the ensuing release of the Twitter files have opened our eyes to two things. One, the elites regularly, perhaps constantly, lie to you, propagating false narratives through their control of academia, the mass media, and big tech, and they censor your ability through big tech to speak the truth. And number two, the legacy media, and I'm talking about network television, newspapers, etc., is dead. Their role as the fourth estate the critical check on the billionaires and our government has evaporated. It has vanished. Instead, they now work for those same people. They seemingly, their careers actually benefit, as Glenn Greenwald pointed out on his show this past week, even when they lie, their careers take off in the service of the billionaires and the elites. And those who tell the truth about those folks are routinely censored and silenced. And that's what the Twitter files have told us. I believe it was the iconic American author Mark Twain who quipped, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. <laughs> it is so true today. And if Mr. Twain were here to read the Twitter files, which were released on Twitter by actual journalists, by the way, he would not be surprised in the least at their revelations. The fact of the matter is, if you're not getting a good dose of your information from journalists on Substack, you're probably, or quite possibly, a partisan who likes being lied to. I don't have a bird. My family used to have an African gray parrot. He was pretty cool. He, he could talk. He had a very good vocabulary, etc., Maybe I should get a bird. And if I do get a bird, I am not, I'm certainly not going to line its cage with the New York Times or Washington Post. They're trash. Whether it was propagating false narratives about Russia and Donald Trump, protecting the Biden family from even the slightest coverage about their business dealings, which appear to be quite shady, and the New York Post, to their credit, has done some of that coverage, or if it was their coverage of the pandemic, they have failed us, the American people. 
which is not to say that at the New York Times, CNN, Washington Post, there aren't good journalists there because there are some good journalists at some of these news organizations and some who can do some quality journalism, even if that journalism often is only directed at investigating Republicans or conservatives. Which leads us to the first topic of this podcast, a story that broke last month in the New York Times, but actually was originally covered and broken back before the midterm elections by the North Shore leader in Long Island, New York. And this story was about the Republican nominee for the third congressional district in New York, the wealthiest district in the state, by the way a guy by the name of George Santos. Santos ran for this congressional seat in 2020 and lost, but he just won in these most recent midterms of 2022 and in a couple of days is going to be sworn in as a United States congressman. The gist of the story is this. George Santos is a snake oil salesman, a complete con man, a guy who made up his entire resume. He claimed to have graduated from college. He did not. He claimed to have worked at major stock trading houses. He did not. He claimed to have immense wealth. At the time of the North North Shore leader story, he was apparently living in a very modest rented row house with his husband. Yes, you heard that right. Santos is an openly gay Hispanic Republican congressman-elect. More on that in a second, because... First, I want to talk about what this story says about the media in 2023. The story of George Santos is a perfect case study in the decline of modern media. The way that these stories used to break is this, a local outlet, a place like a local newspaper or radio station, would cover a story because it's in their backyard and they would get this story going. And then maybe later on, a a big outlet would catch on to it and amplify it and take it from there. Didn't really happen here. The North Shore Leader, a local newspaper, which likely lacked the resources to dig deeper into George Santos, unearthed some very troubling facts about a leading candidate for Congress, and no other major news organizations picked it up. Now, I, this is speculation, but I think that it's possible that Republicans who live there, maybe a guy like Sean Hannity, or maybe, you know, Tucker Carlson, a Republican who I think tapes in New York, might have caught wind of this story, but do you think that Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson, I I think Tucker Carlson might have because he seems to del- delight in making people, in ripping people to shreds on air, but do you think that a Republican outlet is going to shine a light on this and hand over a seat that the Democrats need to keep in a tightly contested midterm? I don't think so. But what about the other side? What about... Newsday, New York Daily News, or the New York Times. Why did they not pick it up and run with it? It is possible that these organizations have cut their editorial departments so much in an age of lower revenues for 
newspapers that they missed this story or that their focus has been so much on Donald Trump and now Ron DeSantis. You know, their business model is providing progressive partisan pablum to readers in places like Austin, Texas, Marin County, California, Lakeshore Drive, Chicago, Illinois. Maybe they just don't care about being the New York Times anymore. But in any case, whatever the reason, the Fourth Estate failed in their job of vetting candidates. They used to do that, right? Particularly Republican candidates. And and by the way, full disclosure, the North Shore leader has a somewhat conservative bent. The readership of this area is very wealthy. And actually, they endorsed the Democrat in this race, Representative Tom Swotze. They they said they normally don't want to do this, but Santos is a threat. He's a problem. There's too many questions here. And yet, despite that reporting by the leader, Santos and his false narrative and his fast talking on the campaign trail in a year where New Yorkers were clearly unhappy with their governor, Kathy Hochul, and the direction of this country, Santos managed to win a seat in Congress. So fast forward a couple months and enter the New York Times and their bombshell story which revealed that seemingly every aspect of George Santos's public persona and image was a lie. Again, he lied about being a college graduate. I don't have a problem with that, do you? I mean, I have a problem with him lying about it, but graduating from college, how does that make you qualified for public office? I know plenty of folks who never attended college, including my father, who are 20 times smarter than most people in the House of Representatives. So that's not necessarily a prerequisite, but he lied about it. He lied about working at Citigroup and Goldman Sachs. They don't have a record of his employment there. Again, wealthiest district in New York. He's running as some sort of businessman slash financial expert. He felt he needed to lie about that. He claimed to own 13 properties. He owns none. He claimed to be, quote, a proud Jew. He is neither a practicing Jew or of Jewish descent that we know of. He claimed to run an animal rescue group. Apparently, the dog owner demo is a key one in Long Island if you want to win elections. There was no record of that charity or group. And he even claimed, and I think this is really the the most shameless and troubling one, in pandering to his LGBTQIA plus voters, He claimed that he had four of his own employees that were murdered in the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. Every single one of these claims were lies. So in summation, the 3rd District of New York in Long Island elected a dumber, but certainly better looking and better groomed version of Frank Underwood from the House of Cards to represent it in Congress. Now, After this story by the New York Times, most voters are no doubt wishing that they could vote again. Let's be clear. Santos has no plans to resign. He will be sworn in in a couple of days, and he he very clearly plans to go to Washington and enjoy all the trappings of being a congressman. And that was made abundantly clear in his 
first interview on television after the scandal, which he did with former four-term Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, who was filling in for Tucker Carlson on Tucker Carlson Tonight on Fox News. Let's listen to that. Congressman-elect Santos, thank you for joining us today. Um, The first question I really want to ask you now that all of this has been revealed is, what does the word integrity mean to you? Well, Tulsi, thank you for having me. You know, um, to to answer your question, integrity is very important. And like I I said to the New York Post, embellishing my resume was a mistake. What does it mean? Because the the meaning of the word actually matters in practice. Of course, it it means to, to carry yourself in an honorable way. And I made a mistake. And I think humans are flawed, and we all make mistakes, Tulsi. Um, I think we can all look at ourselves in the mirror and admit that once in our life we made a mistake. I'm having to admit this in national television for the whole country to see, and I have the courage to do so because I believe that in order to move past this and move forward and be an effective member of Congress, I have to face my mistakes, and I'm facing them. Um, The reality is is that I remain committed to doing everything I set forward in my campaign. I'm not a fraud. I'm not a fake. I, I, I didn't materialize from thin air. I worked damn hard to get where I got my entire life. Life wasn't easy. It didn't start off easy. As I've said it many, many times, I come from abject poverty. I made some mistakes and I own up to them. And now I want to put this past me so I can deliver for the American people. Well, it's clear that Mr. Santos really doesn't think he did anything that badly wrong. And he has no intentions of resigning. As for Tulsi Gabbard, great choice by Tucker Carlson to fill in for him during the holidays. She is a rising star. Remember, she's an American patriot. She serves in the Army Reserve. She is a rising star, whether that's going to be in media or back in public service. And here she follows up with a question all of us should be asking at this point. If I were one of those in New York's third district right now, now that the election is over and I'm finding out all of these lies that you've told, not just one little lie or one little embellishment. These are blatant lies. My question is, do you have no shame? Do you have no shame in the people who are now you're asking to trust you to go and be their voice for them, their families and their kids in Washington? Tulsi, I can say the same thing about the Democrats and and the party. Look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden's been lying to the American people for 40 years. He's the president of the United States. Democrats resoundly support him. Do they have no shame? I've made this very clear. This is not about the Democratic Party, though. This is about your relationship, frankly, with the people who've entrusted you to go and, and fight for them. Some very tough questioning there by Tulsi Gabbard. And without answering that question, Santos answered the question right there. This man clearly has no shame. And shame is a very powerful thing. It's a powerful emotion. It's a powerful motivator. And quite frankly, we need to bring shame back in America in a big way. You know, there was a time when Americans and specifically American leaders felt shame when their misdeeds went public. I'm old enough to remember a time when impeachment was something you only did if a crime was committed. It says something in the Constitution of the United States of America about high crimes and misdemeanors. And obviously, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats cheapened that institution. So if I'm Joe Biden, uh, you know, keep your lawyers on retainer. But 
when our 42nd president, William Jefferson Clinton, committed perjury in a federal lawsuit, the Republican-led House of Representatives impeached him, and then politically they paid the price in the midterms. Americans apparently had no issues with certain types of perjury if the lie was about quote-unquote sexual relations between consenting adults. Now, in the post-Me Too era, with the power disparity involving the most powerful man in the world and a 20-something intern, I think people today might feel differently, but I digress. House Speaker Newt Gingrich resigned his position in Congress after his party's performance in the midterms of 1998, and the man who was supposed to replace him, Representative Bob Livingston of Louisiana, a very respected member of the House, he was found to have committed adultery himself. Now, that came to light famously after Hustler publisher Larry Flint offered a million-dollar bounty for information on leadership in the Republican Party who had something to do with impeaching Clinton. And when that information came to light, Livingston not only withdrew his name from the race for speaker, but he also went on to resign his seat in Congress. Why? That wouldn't happen today, probably. But the answer is that Livingston was ashamed of what he had done to his wife and to his office. And so he knew that he lacked the moral authority to lead, and he stepped down. The moral authority to lead. Yes, folks, that's a thing. It still is a thing. I can tell you that it's a thing in the military, and that's why we have a thing called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And when leaders are found to have committed adultery or have lied, they're forced out. It's as simple as that. Because in the military, having the moral authority to lead is still very important. And you would hope that the commander-in-chief of our armed forces, the president of the United States, the vice president, the members of Congress, the House of Representatives and the Senate, that they would also see the importance of that. Part of the mythology of our nation's first president The father of our country, George Washington, was that story we were all taught in elementary school about little George Washington confessing to his dad that, yeah, dad, I I cannot tell a lie. I damaged that cherry tree with my hatchet. Now, whether he said that or not, it is clear in his writings that George Washington believed that morality was a very important thing. And in fact, in his farewell address to our country in September of 1796, Washington said that religion and morality were hand in hand and necessary pillars of good government, and that all leaders needed to be virtuous and moral. (laughs) That's almost laughable today. As Tulsi Gabbard pointed out prior to that question, And prior to that interview, we have a senator from Massachusetts named Elizabeth Warren who lied about being a Native American to cut the line. We have another senator from Connecticut named Dick Blumenthal who joined the military reserves 
to avoid serving in Vietnam and then later lied and said he fought in Vietnam. And then, of course, there's the big guy himself, Joe Biden, who ran for president in 1988 and did not get his party's nomination, actually had to withdraw in shame for plagiarism. And then it was later learned that he was given a failing grade in a college course for plagiarism. Plagiarism in academia still is a very big deal. If if you make the mistake of sending your kids to college these days and they have to write papers, they will be lectured about plagiarism. It's a very serious offense, and in a different time, it would have been considered a disqualifier for office. It was in 1988, and things like perjury or lying, adultery, plagiarism, they would be a disqualifier because voters would look at it with disgust back then, but also because the exposed liars, adulterists, and plagiarists would not show their face in public. Today, Congressman-elect Santos responds to a question about whether or not he has shame by pointing his finger at others, talking about Joe Biden. Yes, we know President Biden has lied for the past 40 years. What does that have to do with you, George? And, And should we, as Americans, just accept the fact that because some, perhaps many, have lied in their offices in Washington, that we should just accept that as, "Ah, that's the way it is, and just send another prevaricator to Washington? I say, no. We deserve better. The American people deserve better. And we know this guy lied about everything. So the question is, what do we do about George Santos? The balance of power in Congress is you're going to hear a lot about this as being a key subtext to this issue. I think it's irrelevant. But the Republican Party holds a 222-213 advantage in the House of Representatives. That's not much of a margin of error if you're trying to get your agenda rammed through it. Of course, the Democrats own the Senate, so you're going to need to be bipartisan anyway. But you need to pass bills to force the issue sometimes. And, you know, a nine-seat margin is not very much. So there are some Republicans and conservatives who may just shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, it's bad, but, you know, we can't afford to risk losing that seat. How would they lose the seat? Well, if Santos was out, then they would have to hold a special election. And, you know, it was a tight race in, in 22. Santos lost in 20. This is a swing district. They could lose it. So some Republicans don't want to risk it. Others may say, yeah, we really shouldn't try to force out a gay Republican or a Hispanic Republican from our ranks. We're trying to be, we're trying to get a bigger tent. We're trying to be inclusive. That is a bunch of crap. And it's also incredibly insulting to the gay Republicans, gay Americans, and Hispanic Americans who are honest and hardworking people who think that this kind of conduct is reprehensible for our leaders. If we want to win elections going forward, I'm talking about conservatives, 
I think we need to show that we will not tolerate people like Liz Warren or Dick Blumenthal or Joe Biden on our side. And so I think it's better to lose the seat on principle than to win with a guy like Santos. America is better off without scumbags like this in Congress. So what do we do about it? How do we remove him? Well, one thing you can guarantee is that tomorrow he will be a U.S. congressman. He will accept the will of the voters. He will be sworn in. But there could be hope. There is already an investigation underway into his campaign finances. I, I forgot to mention kind of another big thing in that New York Times story, which was he may have actually been charged with embezzlement in Brazil. Okay. And the only reason he didn't get jailed or, or you know, at least tried there was because they couldn't find him. He was in the U.S. So he may have embezzled a lot of money from Brazil. That's that is alleged in the story. And he did loan his campaign a pretty good amount of money. And nobody knows where he got that money. We also know that there are tons of charges in his campaign records for things in the amount of $199, which conveniently is $1 below the Federal Election Commission's required amount where you have to have a receipt. That sounds pretty honest, right? Because $199 is what you would be charged as a major party campaign. I mean, come on, people. And he may have actually paid the rent for that row house with his husband out of campaign funds. So this could be promising. The investigation could deliver an indictment, but it also might not. And so what if it doesn't? Well, then it gets pretty tricky because for starters, we don't even know yet who the Speaker of the House is going to be. The House Minority Leader from the last Congress, Kevin McCarthy of California, was long thought to be the guy. But the performance in the midterms was crap. We have, you know, a lot of people, the ultra MAGA types, the hardcore conservatives that do not want Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. He may not have the votes, people. And so, you know, this Santos issue just throws another wrench into the discussion because it's an unnecessary distraction. Whomever emerges as the eventual speaker, and I hope that it's Jim Jordan of Ohio, I think the way ahead is to try to force Santos to resign. There's simply no way that a chamber of, I mean, in the Constitution, in Article 1 of the Constitution, I believe in Section 5, it does say things like, you know, you can remove somebody with two-thirds of the votes of the House. They can expel him from their ranks. That, I don't think, is going to happen for a couple reasons. Number one, Santos did all this stuff before he was a member of Congress. It's sort of like, you know, trying to impeach President Trump after he's already out of office. It's just, it. there's no precedent for it. There's no legal standing. So I don't think that's going to happen. And even if it could happen, I don't think you're going to have two thirds of this body, 435 of, well, I'll be kind, gentlemen and ladies who, you know, <laughs> I mean, just all you have to do is is get on the internet and you can find out the histories and 
and some of the shadiness that's going on. And we talk about it every week here on the Midnight Ride. You're not going to get for, you know, a couple hundred of these folks, 300 of these folks to vote Santos out because guess what? Then their own transgressions will be exposed by the press. And just like Bob Livingston did. So I don't think you're going to see that happen. So I think the way ahead is to try to force Santos to resign. Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, or whomever becomes Speaker of the House should refuse to seat him on any committees. No committees. No committees, no chance to sponsor bills, nothing. He can sit in the back, collect his salary, but put the scarlet letter on him. Ridicule him in public on Fox News, C-SPAN, any cable news appearances, and encourage others to do the same. You know the Democrats are going to do it. That, that's another thing. By you calling him out and calling him a snake oil salesman and a shyster, that'll throw the Democrats off. Wait a minute, what are they doing? They're, they're standing up for honesty and integrity? That might throw them a little bit of a curveball. But bottom line is, we need to, the, the Republican Party needs to do that. And as for us, the American voter, it's time for all of you meme makers out there to start working overtime. I mean, Babylon B. They're probably already on the case, but all of the meme makers get after it. Non-stop lampooning of this clown on the internet. And when he shows his face in public, in Long Island, like say at town halls, for instance, make him exit stage right, red-faced with his tail between his legs. It is time to bring shame back in America. And every politician, military leader, church leader, police commissioner, Boy Scout troop leader, community leader, should be shamed out of town if they commit these types of offenses and do not immediately resign. That is the only honorable thing to do. And men like George Santos, we have seen, have no honor. So it's time to bring shame back. And when we come back, we will continue our discussion on shame and talk about an issue that the Democrats appear to want to make their Waterloo, the hill they want to die on. And of course, we're talking about drag shows for young children. We'll talk about that when we come back on the Midnight Ride podcast. Stay with us. We are back. Connor Coughlin here. I just went upstairs to go get a drink, and my wife, who is not as plugged into politics as you and I are, probably better for her mental health, asked, hey, what's the show about this week? I said, the show is about America's need to bring back shame. And she's like, what do you mean? What's that about? And I said, well, we have a guy in Congress now who is a complete charlatan and liar. I explained to her about Santos. And when I told her that he said he was a Jew and got called out on it and said, oh, I never said I was a Jew. I said I was Jewish. She started busting out laughing and I can still hear her upstairs laughing about it. Thank you, Mr. Santos, for making our Congress even more of a laughingstock than it already was. May you be shamed into obscurity forever. <sighs> I am going to be happy to see Paul Runyon back next week. Tanned and refreshed, but maybe a little bit sad. Not, no maybe about it. He's devastated. 
by the heartbreaking loss the Michigan Wolverines suffered on New Year's Eve against America's new football darlings, the Horned Frogs of Texas Christian University. And with apologies to some of our listeners in the Peach State, the Midnight Ride would not mind seeing a college football team not from the Southeast Conference or some major conference winning the championship. I think that would inject some some new life into college football, but may the best team win there. You know what else the Midnight Ride would like to see? How about some sanity in our country? And again, looking back to last year, 2022, it was a year where the term conspiracy theory should have been changed to spoiler alert, given all the revelations that we have seen. And it was also a year where insanity seemed to permeate from the left at jaw-dropping levels. And nowhere in the culture war is this more apparent than the left's desire to push the idea to our children that the sex listed on their birth certificate is just a doctor's guess and that only they can decide whether they're a boy, a girl, or something else. And that something else, it started with NB or non-binary and has expanded and expanded to more than 100 different designations. And in the amount of time it takes me to sip from this soda can, now it's 103 different designations. Seriously, we went from gay to gay and lesbian to gay, lesbian, or bisexual to LGBT to LGBTI to LGBTIA to LGBTIA plus to 2S LGBTIA plus. And by next year, the disciples of this insane religious cult will likely have to recite the entire alphabet. As we discussed last year, 2022, the application for San Francisco's new universal basic income program, also known as free money for not working, for transgender people only now, has more than 130 different gender designations. And by 2024, it could be 400. Oh, by the way, as they did for the word racism after George Floyd's death in 2020, they've actually gone and changed the definitions of the words woman and man in the dictionary. The leftists have gone insane. Or is there a method to their madness? You can write our show at the Midnight Ride Podcast at gmail.com. I've been corresponding this week with two brothers, the Fernandez twins, in the free state of Florida. They chimed in about the identical twin story we had at the end of last week's program. And as we went back and forth in the, sh- in the chat and I found out more about them, I learned that they have an extreme distrust of the globalists. These guys are 19 years old. Um, really smart kids. And, you know, the globalists, we're talking about people like Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Justin Trudeau, and others. Now, some might listen to these young patriots and say, you guys are conspiracy theorists, but after the events of the past couple years, can you blame them? So let's get into what the, the Fernandez twins were saying. Their thesis is that the globalists who are trying to shut down massive amounts of farms in the Netherlands, which is one of the world's largest food producers. They're buying up farmland in the United States. 
They are promoting abortion rights. They are promoting vaccines. They're promoting microchips inside of people's bodies. Their theory is that the globalists seek global depopulation. And I totally agree with this premise. And, you know, the sad thing about it is, is that the globalists, and I don't know how many of them there are. I don't know if it's like 30 guys who come, you know, they meet in Switzerland once a year. They have, you know, double secret handshakes or whatever. I don't know how many of them there are, but they don't want to reduce global population. Them And by the way, talking about global depopulation, Justin Trudeau, globalist, right? Look at what's going on in Canada with the medical assisted medical assistance in death or maid program that's a huge scandal that's not being talked about they are literally killing off the youth of canada in some cases this is not just terminally ill people so i agree with this premise right the globalists want to reduce population and and i wish they'd start by just eliminating themselves that would help with the population but no it's us they want to go away it's our children that they want to abort right Now, here comes the interesting part of this theory. The popularization of feminism, pushing women in the workplace, abortion, and promoting gay and transgender lifestyles is all part of this and having a profound effect on our birth rate. And it's true. Look at the statistics. Our birth rate is now at negative rate, right? Less than replacement. So we are in a birth rate crisis. And there is no question that the massive explosion in transgenderism in youth is part of this. The sterilization of young women as a byproduct of the trans movement is part of this. Is it possible that globalists or some nefarious group of evil billionaires or evil human beings and corporations is pushing this on our kids? Hell yeah, it's possible. It's happening right now, people. I just saw an ad the other day. I follow on Instagram uh, a young lady by Vote With Your Dollar Mama. And uh, she's a good follow because she can tell you the corporations like Crocs, for example, that promote some of this stuff. Uh, And there was something in there about Abercrombie and Fitch. They had in one of their recent campaigns, two men, two gay men, Uh, hugging each other, one of whom had very long hair like a woman and a beard, but was wearing makeup and earrings, whatever, a transgender uh, woman, okay? Also known as a guy pretending to be a woman. And I believe that this particular model that was in the, the ad was actually on the Dr. Phil show, arguing with Matt Walsh, Um, but anyway, you know, it's just sad. I mean, Abercrombie and Fitch, isn't this the company that outfitted Admiral Byrd's expedition to Antarctica? I mean, it was a company that originally was like for outdoorsmen and hunters and fishermen and stuff. And now they're promoting this garbage. I mean, but this is happening in our country, folks. The powers that be are promoting this on our kids. Let's keep it in the free state of Florida for a second and talk about America's governor, Ron DeSantis. He sees this sexual grooming of kids as an existential threat to our society, as we all should. And for this reason, he signed into law the Parental Rights and Education Act, which banned discussion of sexuality and gender identity for children in kindergarten through third grade. In other words, 
kids who are young enough to believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, they should not be hearing from some green-haired lunatic in a government-run school that they can be whatever they want to be. Come, come on your gender journey with us. I mean, that is something that should be for parents only to discuss. And the Parental Rights and Education Act was like a punch in, in the gut to the political left. And the brilliance of it was the common sense writing of this. Now, of course, they used their lapdogs in the media and big tech to try to stop it and frame it as the don't say gay bill. But if you read the bill and the legislators did, and when the public were given the actual facts on it, the majority of the people polled said, yeah, it's wrong to talk about these issues in the classroom. This is the domain of parents. And so the common sense argument that Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature made, it was just too much for the left to overcome. It didn't stop them from fighting it. And famously, Disney opposed it. And boy, did DeSantis hit back in a big way. And I think Disney is suffering financially because of that decision. We talked earlier in the show about them firing their CEO. Uh, You know, not only did they lose their special status, you know, Florida took that away. They had their own essentially their own part of the state that was like Disney County and they lost special taxation status and such, but also as a result of their commitment to promoting LGBTIA plus, you know, LGBTQIA plus lifestyles to children, they injected characters and themes into two of their major box office releases in 2022. And as we discussed, they have paid for it at the box office as a result. So one battleground is in courthouses and state houses where the governors of places like Arkansas, Louisiana, Tennessee, Florida, and others have outlawed gender mutilation surgeries and the like. And of course, on the other side of that, we live in this this weird, you know, polarized state where you know, one side says white and one side says black and one side says left and one side says right. So California and other states like it have declared themselves as sanctuary states for this butchery. So this is one of the fault lines in the culture war. And it's another reason, quite frankly, why the populations of California, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, New York continue to lose population. It's not just economic. I mean, parents see this insanity. They're running to Florida and other states which still have common sense and still believe in preserving the innocence of children. And if you think California, Oregon, New York, or whatever, that, that these waves of illegal immigrants coming into your state are going to agree with this ideology, you should probably think again. Okay? Because anybody that's willing to take that trek up here with their children loves their kids very much, and I'm going to guess that they're not going to agree with with your agenda here. But I digress. So the chemical castration of young girls and boys, the gender mutilization surgeries, all of which the leftists have given the Orwellian name gender-affirming care, all of that heinous butchery happens behind closed doors in hospitals or in the privacy of homes. But it's the phenomena of drag queens now that is something that is playing out in public. And that's what I want to talk about today. Quote, family-friendly drag shows. Are you you following this? 
you might not be. Much of what I'm talking about right now is something that my wife, much of my family, many of my colleagues at work were completely ignorant of, of about because it you know it's going on in many states in the union. It's going on in Texas. It's going on in Tennessee. It's going on in other places, but people are just not tracking it. They don't they're not aware of it. But the fact is that the left has been using drag queens as foot soldiers in their gender war for years now. And and look, I'm not necessarily against drag queens. It, it's not my thing to watch gay men dress up as women and dance and sing in an absurd oversexualization of women to satisfy some weird fetish that they have. I mean, some women like to go and watch these shows. I, my wife went to a couple of them with her friends and she said they were fun. That's fine. You know, what adults do for entertainment is 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 all fair game. And, you know, if we're being honest, it's no different from maybe, you know, a gentleman's club, perhaps, where, you know, young ladies get up on stage and, and dance in front of men or Chippendales dancers at a, a bachelorette party. Again, that's adults. Where I draw the line and where we all need to draw the line is the inclusion of children into the whole drag queen world. We have seen in the last several years drag queen story hours at public libraries. Okay, and they're not reading like, you know, Tom Sawyer to them, okay? It's usually some book that promotes the idea of gender fluidity. Drag queen brunches. And now, public performances in public venues where some parents bring their children in to be groomed into the LGBT lifestyle. I mean, a few years ago, it's it's so popular and accepted culturally that Good Morning America actually had on a young boy who was actually a drag queen on the show. And you had like Michael Strahan up there going, oh, you're so brave. This is great. It is not great. It is disgusting and sad. And in some cases, you know, these children, these child drag queens, um, and they're actually, uh, I believe Matt Walsh has talked about recently, um, the Discovery Channel, I think, has a new show about, you know, child drag queens. They're, this is something that has been popularized in media. You know, young boys are put up onto bars or stages and gay men put dollar bills into their waistbands. Everything I'm telling you has been happening for years. But the public performances under the banner Family Friendly, that's the current battle, right? And it is 100% wrong. It is 100% sexualizing and grooming young children. Yes, I said the G word, grooming. That one word, which is an accurate characterization of what's happening here, that is a word that the left has seized upon and, you know, the masters of language that they are, they have claimed that it is transphobic, that it is hateful, that it is threatening to their very existence. They claim that conservatives, not even just conservatives, just parents, right? Normal people who don't want their children exposed to this radical agenda are threatening their very existence by calling them groomers. And this is their standard refrain. If you question their desire or their their burning need to talk to young children about sexuality or gender theory, you're threatening their life to you know their life and their right to exist. 
If you question their need to perform drag shows, including very sexually suggestive and sometimes raunchy burlesque shows in front of children, you are a transphobe, a bigot, and you are threatening their right to exist. If you use that word groomer, you're a terrorist. Even if you're gay or lesbian. I mean, you might remember last year, there is a a group called Gays Against Groomers, which is a an expanding group of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and yes, they even have some trans members in their ranks. This group is very concerned about what some of the insane members of their community are doing to kids, and they're out there exposing it. So you've got some folks on social media, Gays Against Groomers, Sarah Gonzalez of The Blaze, Christopher Rufo, Matt Walsh, Libs of TikTok. Follow all of these people because they're doing a great job of exposing this. And they have all, as a result, had death threats. They have been shadow banned or outright banned, doxxed, deplatformed, and slandered as bigots merely for asking, I think, a pretty fair question. Okay. Drag queens, yeah, but why do you need to do this in front of kids? And there is no defendable answer to this question. So, like George Santos, as you heard earlier in the show, they deflect, they don't answer the question, they deflect with an attack and say, hey, we're the victims here. You're threatening my life. Never mind the, you know, seven year old kid. You're threatening me with this. Like the Parental Rights and Education Act, the push to eliminate these drag shows involving kids is gaining steam. And it's probably going to be hard for the left to keep doing this, but only if we speak up. As the voices against these shows grow, so is the left's crying about transphobic violence. And, you know, you will always hear them, you know, you'll see their mouthpieces on CNN, MSNBC coming out and saying, There's so much violence against transgender women. And, and, you know, these are cherry pick statistics that don't often uh, tell the full story about these attacks. But these are not attacks by right wingers. Um, And frankly, the numbers of them just aren't that great. But, you know, they don't want to talk about the fact that some of these people are sex workers or they're involved in in other crimes and, and some of these things happen. But they continue to talk about being the victims of violence, and they have no compunction whatsoever using tragic events to their advantage to try to shut down debate about their depraved practices involving children. Most recently, of course, the Q nightclub shooting in Colorado Springs. What a tragedy. And again, our our thoughts and prayers go out to all of not only the families of those killed, but the survivors as well. And and thank goodness that there were brave people in there who got to the gunman and, and stopped him before he could do more damage. But, you know, that nightclub shooting was immediately cited in the media as a byproduct of the efforts of the right wing to question the sexualization of children. You know, rising anti-trans hate, you know, anti-LGBTQ, until it was learned that the shooter was non-binary himself. And then the national media went dark. Have you heard anything about this lately? I haven't. You know, the great thing about America is that this nation is, despite everything the left will tell you, the most inclusive nation 
on Earth and in the history of Earth. Gay and lesbian and, yes, transgender Americans live in peace and, you know, prosperity and enjoy freedom under the stars and stripes. And not only do they enjoy freedom, but they enjoy special status. They are protected by our government, promoted by our government. They're getting money and jobs and protection by our media that are not afforded to heterosexual individuals. The White House was recently lit up in rainbow colors. We've had rainbow flag flying at our embassies. Our military has a pride month that they celebrate. But they would have you believe that because some parents started to question why gay men needed to gyrate and drag in front of six-year-olds that their existence is being threatened? Please. This is where shame needs to come back into play in our country. You know, the actions of some of these men, these drag queens, the content of their shows in front of children, I'm not going to play it here. Because the editors, I, I, number one, I can't get very good audio, but it's also not appropriate for young audiences. It's not, you know, I, I don't need to paint that picture for you. Some of this stuff, other podcasters have played it. It is borderline pornographic. It is reprehensible. And frankly, it's criminal. And that's coming, folks, because states like Arizona, Michigan, Florida, Idaho, Montana, Texas, and others are all looking at laws to criminalize sexual performances in front of young children because they're indefensible. You know, uh, and there are protests that are starting against these shows. And these protests need to get bigger and louder. We need to bring back shame into our society. Any man performing in a sexual way in front of children needs to be cuffed and booked. And any parent bringing their children to these events needs to receive a visit from Child Protective Services. Libs of TikTok, the website that shared TikTok videos that LGBTQ teachers posted online on their own accounts showing how they were grooming kids, that feed's creator was doxxed by the Washington Post. So, you know, I'd say that that's fair game. We need to make these people famous. Every man putting dollar bills in the waistband of child drag queens, every drag queen gyrating in front of seven-year-olds, every parent bringing their kids to these shows needs to be shamed publicly, loudly, and heavily. And as far as the drag queens themselves or the men that are giving dollar bills to children, their actions need to be known by their employers and their potential employers because they are a threat to the innocence of children. And make companies and others decide if they want these deviants in their midst. What would you do if a drag queen ever came to your young child's school or event? If it ever happened at my daughter's school or library, I'm not sure what would happen, but I can tell you it would not be a good day for the dude in drag or, and perhaps me. I don't know. But violence is not the answer. And, you know, the left desperately wants violence because that's the only way they can stop and stem the tide of this movement of governors, attorneys general, and parental groups 
from ending this practice is if there is violence toward a drag queen. So please, everybody, you know, I know you're probably upset. And, and if you're just waking up to this phenomena and you go to, to see what Sarah Gonzalez of The Blaze or Libs of TikTok or Matt Walsh are talking about, you will be outraged. Your blood will boil if you are a parent. But violence is what they want. And at some of these protests, you know, we have seen Proud Boys and other right-wing groups show up with guns, you know, outside of these clubs and, and, and protesting and shouting at these people. And Antifa comes along for the fun. And, you know, Antifa, we talked about the We Spa last week. You know, they brutalize people who deny the existence of trans women, etc. Um, so we have, you know, violent thugs that are now getting into this, that want to get into this. We need to keep them out. Violence is not the answer. It is exactly the wrong thing here. It's what the left wants. The answer is public shaming. Now, these people have no shame, but that's partly because we have, a, as a society, have removed that from the toolbox. You know, we talked about this with the Santos thing. Drag queens are kind of considered cool. I mean, we've had everyone from Joe Biden to Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, Lady Gaga, many artists and actors celebrating them. And, you know, to each his own, maybe that's okay. But when they cross the line into grooming kids, they need to be shamed. And in this internet age, that should not be hard to do. Well, when we come back, they finally did it. They released Donald Trump's tax returns. Do you have Trump fatigue yet? Maybe that's the point. A quick discussion on the latest attempt by the left to stop Donald Trump in 2024, coming up next on The Midnight Ride. We're back and we're going to close the show with a, a little news event from the final day of the Congress, the last day of Friday dump by the House Ways and Means Committee. They released the tax returns for several years of former President Donald J. Trump. This is something that had been going on for years, a legal battle that went all the way to the Supreme Court that the Democrats in the House wanted to release Trump's tax returns. I don't know exactly what their stated reason was. And, you know, they, they released these tax returns knowing that the tax returns proved nothing illegal done by the president, but they went ahead and released them anyway. Uh, we'll get into a little bit. I, you know, we're already over time for the show, but since the editors are on vacation and I'm the editor today, we'll go a little bit longer to discuss this. Not so much to talk about Donald Trump uh, and more to talk about what this means for us as a society moving forward. Um, and I guess we can start with what it showed for Donald Trump. Number one, he lost a lot of money in 2020 because of the pandemic. What is Donald Trump's business? Mostly real estate, hotels, things like that. And that industry took a nosedive in 2020. Donald Trump reported zero taxable income in 2020. He also, that was the first year that he did not donate his entire charity, his entire salary to charity, which he claimed he was going to do. And I believe he did do either donate to charity or to federal government agencies. I remember seeing one time where he said, this quarter I'm donating my salary to the Federal Park Service or whatever the case may be. He didn't do that in 2020. Ooh, big deal, right? Um, 
there were a couple of other weird things. One was that in the tax documents, Trump was receiving interest income from his kids, money that he loaned out to his kids, and they were paying him back with interest. That is a little weird. No proof of criminal wrongdoing, but uh, I, you know, I have kids, and uh, I don't loan them money. I occasionally, very occasionally, give them money. But I suppose if I was going to loan my kids money, there would be no interest involved. Does that seem strange to you that Donald Trump would charge Ivanka $18,000 in interest? That, that seems bizarre. But again, nothing illegal. And, and mainly what this shows is that Donald Trump is not the successful businessman that some would make him out to be. He's the guy that has declared bankruptcy times, right? Tidbit, the tax bill, the tax reform that Trump passed in 2016, it actually hurt Donald Trump. He had to pay more federal income tax as a result of his own policies. So the Democrats cannot say that he passed this law to benefit himself because the state and local tax deduction elimination that he did, limiting it to $10,000, that actually hurt Donald Trump. He has a lot of properties in New York and in New Jersey and other places. And so his own policies did not benefit him personally. These returns will be poured over and they will be investigated further by Trump's political opponents and potentially, you know, some other, uh, watchdog agencies, but I think the IRS and and other federal agencies have, have looked at it, and I don't think Donald Trump faces any sort of criminal sanction from this. So why do it then? Why release these tax returns? Well, number one, they made a big hubbub about it for several years, so they kind of had to do it. The timing was a little interesting. On their way out the door, these Democrats, before they turned off the lights on Friday, they, they dumped this. And why? I mean, they would have made a bigger... How, they've had these for a while. They would have made a much bigger deal about it much earlier in 2022 on a good news day instead of on a Friday dump if they had anything. That's pretty telling. But I also think that they did this because what they're trying to do is they're, they're trying to stop Donald Trump from running for president. Obviously, that's why they impeached him after he was no longer president. That's why they're continuing with this January 6th charade and public show trial. But the Republicans take over tomorrow. Okay. And so all of that is gone. So this was one more nail in the coffin or one more chop at the, at the tree with the ax to try to hurt Donald Trump because many polls, not all polls, you know, Donald Trump will tell you that all the important polls, which is not true, but many polls show him leading as the front runner for the Republican Party's nomination in 2024. He is the only named candidate, right? Uh, some other polls show Ron DeSantis, and these will not be the only candidates. But the Democrats do not want Donald Trump. You know, and there's a there's a debate raging in the Republican Party. I think a lot of people particularly women, particularly 
um, centrist Republicans, and just people, some people who I respect a great deal in terms of their political mindset, that think that Trump is exactly the wrong candidate for us in 2024. Those, some, those same people acknowledge that he was a very good president, okay? But I have a very good friend of mine that I served with in the Navy that told me just yesterday, look, if the Democrats don't want it, then we should. <laughs> There's something to be said for that. But I think the Democrats, you know, as, as good as they are at, at guerrilla warfare in politics and, and gaming the system in their favor, et cetera, they're also incredibly stupid, right? They created Donald Trump in 2016 and ignored him and lost. And, uh, and now, you know, this trying to take him down could be giving rise and, and guaranteeing that they have to face a much stronger and much more uh, relevant candidate in 2024 in Ron DeSantis for all the reasons that we've discussed earlier in this show and all of 2022, okay? But, you know, Donald Trump comes out of this tax thing and, and he, he can say that he's a victim here because he is. This is unprecedented, releasing these tax returns. And I liken this act to the same thing that Harry Reid did when he was the Senate Majority Leader, where he changed the rules to get judges through and other nominees with 50 votes. Precedent was broken for partisan reasons to benefit one party, the Democrats. And at the time, Mitch McConnell and others said, okay, well, you know, we vehemently disagree with this, but be careful what you wish for. And uh, I think that same thing is happening now with, uh, you know, Kevin Brady, I believe the, the ranking member of the House Ways and Means Com- uh, Committee, who may be taking over as the chairman tomorrow, uh, saying, hey, listen, you guys do this just so you know, it's a game changer because now it could be coming back on you. And I think we could be seeing the subpoenaing and release of the tax returns of Hunter Biden. But, and, and those will be very interesting, and I will be very interested to see those, okay? And so will many Americans. But why stop at Hunter Biden? If we can do this for the president of the United States, then I want to see Joe Biden's tax returns. I also want to see Nancy Pelosi's tax returns. I want to see Kamala Harris's tax returns. I want to see Chuck Schumer's tax returns. I want to see Elizabeth Warren's. I want to see Mitch McConnell's. I want to see John Thune's. I want to see the tax returns of every member of Congress, all 535 of them. And you know something else? If George Santos had released his ta- had been required to publicly show his tax returns in 2020, he wouldn't have won the Republican nomination, and he certainly would not have won in 2022. Transparency is, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant, and transparency is a key tenet of democracy. One of the things that we all despise about these deep state folks, you know, in D.C. is that they go there quite often as people of 
I won't say limited means, but you do see a lot of middle class and upper middle class Americans, particularly military veterans that come out of uh, their home states and districts and they go to D.C. And then all of a sudden they become incredibly wealthy. I want to see how that happens. And maybe we won't fully see it, but, you know, if they're getting book deals or whatever the case may be, put it all on the table. The American people have a right to know. So thank you, Democratic Party, for doing this, because I think we are going to start seeing the release of tax returns being a regular thing. And if it becomes a tit for tat where one party is in power and does it more, no, release them for everybody. If you are getting a salary from the American taxpayer to do our nation's business in either in the legislature or the executive branch, and I'm not talking about, you know, low-level government officials. I'm talking about cabinet chiefs, president, vice president, okay? What is that, 22 people plus the 535 members of Congress. All of those people release their tax returns, Democrat, Republican, independent, all of them. The American people have a right to know. So thank you, Democrats. And let's let's hope that that happens in 2023 and beyond. I want to thank you for making The Midnight Ride the first podcast that you listened to in 2023, or at least one of the first. Thank you very much. Paul and I want to thank you for listening to the show and spreading the word to like-minded conservatives. If you haven't already, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And join us again next week on the Midnight Ride podcast. We'll see you soon.